Take your Bibles and turn to Luke 22. Luke chapter 22. Uh, deacons, I, uh, you're, if you could just meet over here after the service just briefly. Uh, we just had one item of business to take care of. Deacons, if you could meet right over here. I do want to encourage all of you to be back this evening uh, on Sunday nights when uh, we've been meeting. We've been going through biblical counseling, uh, why it's important. I think it's an area that all of us could um, use to minister to those around us. And specifically this evening, I want to look at the topic of how to help others through trials and sufferings. So I encourage you to be back this evening. Luke chapter 22 is our text for this morning. And as you continue to turn there, let's uh, begin with a word of prayer. God, we are thankful to be here this morning. Lord, as we enter into your word, um, I need a dose of your grace and your strength to help us to understand this text, this story, the way that you worked in the life of Peter. Lord, I pray to help us to be honest with ourselves, evaluate our own lives. Lord, if there's sin in our lives, help us to see that you can conquer sin. And you can use us even though we are sinners. And Lord, I pray that you'll help us to be strengthened by your word this morning. We ask this in your name. Amen. Luke chapter 22, we'll read that in a few moments. Uh, there's a show that's on television that uh, I haven't seen in years, but I'm sure maybe some of you have. Uh, at some point or other, it's called America's Funniest Home Videos. How many of you have ever seen that show? A large number of you. Why is that show something that people want to watch? You know that America's Funniest Home Videos has been on the air since 1989. It's one of the longest-running television shows. It has featured almost 600 episodes. And uh, the question was asked, why is it so popular? Basically because it's popular because we love to see people fall. If you haven't seen the show, it's people video um, incidences that have happened at their house, you know, where someone is, you know, riding a bike and flips and falls, and you know, they're not usually hurt seriously, but it's 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 usually funny to watch them fall. Or or uh, my favorite is always the you know the pinata, and someone inevitably gets smacked in the face, and uh, or you know, a, a, some other type of thing like that. We enjoy uh, sadly watching people fall. But you know, when it comes to spiritual life, when we see people who have failed spiritually, we don't enjoy that as much. In fact, when we hear of someone who has sinned and fallen away from God, it oftentimes breaks our hearts or impacts us in a great way. I remember when I was in college hearing a story of a man who, had, who was a preacher. He was a well-known preacher. He had, he had uh, preached in churches all over the country and uh, had gone to Bible colleges and preached. And he had come to the school where I attended and had preached on numerous occasions. And I remember hearing that he had, uh, had run away and, 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 and was committing an adultery with his secretary. And I remember hearing about that and thinking, Why? 
Why does God allow such things to happen? Why is it that good men fall into sin? And when that happens, what can we learn about it? I'm sure that we can all come up with answers with that. God allows good men to fall into sin so that the rest of us can learn not to make the same mistake. I mean, how many of you have heard about a friend who, who something happened and they did something wrong and, and, and maybe you say this, you say, well, uh, if it wasn't for the grace of God, I might do the same. You know, I have said that to myself on many occasions and, and uh, it's true that we need to learn from the lessons of others, from the mistakes of others, and if we don't, then we may repeat it. And the story I want to look at this morning is a mistake that Peter made. We've been going through the defining moments of a servant, and this is one of those dark moments in the life of Peter that I am sure that Peter uh, wishes he could have done over, but I believe that God allowed it to happen in his life for Peter's good and also for ours. And so what can we learn about Peter and how he denied his Lord three times? If you look in the Bible before we get into uh, really the time when he denied, we want to look at the, a few words of Christ in Luke chapter 22. Look at verse 31. In Luke 22:31, it says, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demanded to have you that he might sift you like wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith may not and when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. Peter said to him, Lord, I am ready to go with you both to prison and to death. And Jesus said, I tell you, Peter, the rooster will not crow this day until you, until you deny me three times that you know me. Look in this passage and these words must have been strange to Peter coming out of the blue. We don't see any lead up to this. We don't see any reason why specifically Jesus said this. We don't see that Peter had done something that would do this. But of course, God being who He is, Jesus being who He is, the Son of God, He knew He knew what Peter was going to do. Many times we see Peter getting in trouble because he blurts something out, because he says something he shouldn't. And many times he says something that the others wanted to say, but they didn't have the courage to say. And he... he uh, reveals it. It is often said about, about Peter that he is the disciple with the uh, foot-shaped mouth. Often putting his foot in his mouth when he shouldn't. And then not being able to deliver on the words that he said. And this night is no exception. Can you imagine what he, hear, what he thinks when he hears the words of Jesus he knows without having to think very hard that these are a great rebuke. It's a prediction that Jesus made of personal failure that must have seemed impossible to Peter. In fact, we know it's in, uh, in Peter's mind it's impossible because Peter, if you were to ask him, you know, Peter, what do you say about yourself? He would say, if nothing else, I'm brave. I'm a courageous person. I have the ability to stand up. And, and we see that in this passage when Jesus says to him, you will deny me. What is his response? He says, no, Lord, I'm ready to go with you, not only to prison, but to death. What Peter did not know is these were very prophetic words and and ultimately, Peter did give his life for the cause of Christ, but not on this night. 
And those words that he uttered, those moments that he had a personal failure were a, a, a stain on his record that 2,000 years has not removed. But ponder the words that Jesus said, if you will. If you look at verse 32 when he says to Peter, I pray that your faith not fail. Notice what he says, and when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. That, that phrase there, when you turn again, uh, is interesting. In the King James, it says, uh, when you are converted. And because of that, that's kind of uh, at times confused people. And some people have stumbled over that statement, meaning maybe that Peter was unsaved. I don't believe that is the case. I believe that a better uh, translation of that is, uh, is what we see here. But what it says, the, the true meaning would be like this. Jesus is saying, Peter, when you are brought back from a place of usefulness, or uselessness, excuse me, to God. Peter, for a time being, you are going to be useless to me because you are going to turn your back on me. But I'll bring you back. You'll come back, and when you do, strengthen your brothers. And from this text, and from the text we'll look at in a few moments when Peter actually did fail, I would like to look at four principles that help us understand why good men fail and why and what we can learn from it. And the first one we see is no Christian is exempt from the possibility of real moral failure. And this point is obvious from this, but I want you to be evaluating in your lives and think about that moment, that, that statement. No Christian is exempt from the possibility of real moral failure. What do we see in this passage? Look again in verse 31. Jesus comes and He says to Peter, Simon, Satan has demanded to have you. And that idea must have shocked some and maybe shocks you. That thought may shock you because at some time, sometimes it's said that Satan has no authority over a Christian. And that's true in a sense. Because Satan can do nothing in your life or in my life without God's permission. Martin Luther said at one point, he said that the devil is God's devil. You say, what does that mean? Basically what he's saying is that even Satan serves the ultimate purpose of God, and even Satan is, is, it falls into God's purpose in the universe. But it is also Martin Luther in the, the famous hymn, Mighty Fortresses Are God, that he said this, the world is filled with devils who threaten to undo us. See, Martin Luther understood that, yes, Satan falls within the control of God, but yes, at the same time, Satan is trying to undo you as a Christian. And if we think today that Satan can't harm us, we misunderstand Scripture. And in this day and age, it's easy to get unbalanced regarding Satan and his work in our life. And this text speaks to a truth. There is a real mortal enemy out there. And He is trying to destroy you. He is trying to destroy me. He is trying to destroy our families, our lives. Because He doesn't want us to have success. You remember the story when God was looking out over His creation and Satan came and said to Him this, He said, you know, I went out and I've looked and I've searched your whole world and I don't see anyone following you. 
Remember, God looked at him and said, Have you considered my servant Job? And over the course of events, God gave Satan permission to inflict uh, sorrow and pain on Job's life. And I believe that this is what Jesus is implying is happening to Peter. Jesus is saying to Peter, Satan's desire, he's demanding you. He wants to have you. He wants to impact you. And I believe Peter got that. I believe Peter understood that because later on in Peter's life, I don't think he ever forgot that because when we come to uh, the epistle that Peter wrote, 1 Peter, he says, uh, be sober-minded. We'll flip over the next one there. Be sober-minded. Be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Peter got it. You know, sometimes we're foolish to think that Satan has no ability over us, and yet we know that Satan is a vicious, mean, deceptive enemy who is trying to tear us down. And we see in this passage, it goes on, he says this, he says, Simon, Satan desires, demands to have you. And notice what he says, that he may sift you like wheat. I believe here what Jesus is implying is that Satan, just like he did with Job, wanted to prove that Peter was not sincere in what he was doing. And that's why Satan came to God and said, Oh yeah, God, I, I know that Job is following you, but if, if, you, if he didn't have it as good as you have given it him, then he would turn his back on you. I think Satan's saying the same thing, or excuse me, Jesus is implying that Satan is saying the same thing here is that uh, Peter was not sincere in what he was doing. And just like the story with Job, Satan assumes that Peter and the other disciples were only following him because it was good. And it was easy to see at this point that it is possible that the disciples were only positioning themselves for a reign of Christ. That these disciples were only following Jesus because He was the Messiah. And one day, they, they were hoping, they were anticipating that He was going to destroy the Romans and He was going to be king. And if they were along His side, that would be a good thing for Him. And Satan comes to uh, uh, Jesus and comes and says, I would like to have Peter to prove that he is not who he says he is. And so he uses the analogy of we and tares. And the idea of sifting like wheat is a harvest term. It's the idea that when they would get to, the farmer would get to harvest time, he would take all of the plants and, and growing up in the middle of the wheat sometimes was something else. Um, each day uh, I, as I go to uh, pick up my, my son from school, he's uh, going to school in Elkhart, we have to drive through these fields and it's it's, I believe it's soy. I don't know what it is, but I think it's soy. It's a lower-growing plant, and in the middle of it, uh, in various places, is corn that got there by accident. And uh, you see it, and it looks kind of funny, because it's these low plants, and then every once in a while there's this corn popping up. Many times that would happen, and many times it might be different, but it would also possibly be uh, chaff, weeds. And sometimes the, the wheat and the, the chaff, were, uh, the weeds were hard to distinguish, and so the farmer would take them, and, and he would take them, and, he, and he, would, he would sift through it, and as he sift through it, that which was, uh, was good would, be, would remain. And that which wasn't would fall away. And here he's saying, 
Peter, Satan wants to sift you because he wants to prove that you're going to fall away. And Satan was hoping to prove that Peter was following Christ for the wrong reasons. You know, in our lives, Satan desires the same thing. And if you stand up and think there's no way that you're going to fall, you're wrong. And sometimes maybe we think that we're invincible, that spiritually we're strong enough, spiritually we can handle it, and that's what Peter thought. And that leads to my second point, which is up on the screen. Satan often attacks us at our strengths, not our weaknesses. In the parallel passage in, in Mark chapter 14, it's, it's talking about the same events. And, and when Jesus says to Peter, he says, you will deny me, Peter's response is this, even though they all fa- fall away, I will not. And Peter was so convinced that he was okay. If you would have asked Peter before this event, if you would have said, Peter, what would you list as some of your strengths? You ever do one of those where you have to list your strengths and weakness? If they would have said, Peter, what is your strengths? You know, he might have said, hey, I do have some weaknesses. Man, sometimes, sometimes I put my uh, mouth out there and I say things that I regret. I have the, the ability to speak before I think. I know that. But if you would have said, Peter, what are your strengths? You know what he would have said? I'm bold. I'm courageous. I, I don't back down when things are hard because that, that's who I am. And Jesus knows that no matter what, I, I may say wrong things sometimes. I may speak out of turn. But Jesus knows I have His back. I'll always be there because I'm courageous. But when Satan attacks us, And when Satan attacked Peter, it came so suddenly, so swiftly, so unexpectedly that the bold apostle immediately turned to butter. And by himself, Peter realized that he was helpless. And in a moment of crisis, Peter failed at the very point, at the very characteristic that he pledged to be eternally faithful. You look in Luke chapter 22, we see the events that transpired, if you look at verse 54. And the events in between, we'll look at some of them in the coming weeks when we get into some of the other stories of Peter. But the events in between, Jesus is taken uh, prisoner and he's, he's taken and we see, if you study the, the various parallel passages, you see and he's taken... Uh, and, and placed before the religious leaders and, and they begin questioning him and interviewing him and, and, and he's not responding the way they want and Scripture says that, they, they hit the, not the religious leaders, but the soldiers are hitting him and, and spitting on him and, and he's going through all this and it tells us in verse 54, when they seized him and led him away, bring him into the high priest's house and Peter was following at a distance. And when they had kindled a fire in the middle of the courtyard and sat down together, Peter sat down among them. Then a servant girl, seeing him as he sat in the light and looking closely at him, said, This man also was with him. But he denied it, saying, Woman, I do not know him. And a little later, someone else saw him and said, You are one of them. But Peter said, man, I am not. And after an interval about an hour, still another insisted, saying, certainly this man also was with him, for he too is a Galilean. 
But Peter said, man, I do not know what you are talking about. And immediately, while he was still speaking, the rooster crowed. And the Lord and turned and looked at Peter. And Peter remembered the saying of the Lord, how he had said to him, before the rooster crows today, you will deny me three times. And he went out and wept bitterly. Just a few hours before this event, Peter was confident. He said, I'll go with you to prison. I'll go with you even to death. And he's confident and it, because that was his strong point. No doubt he would say that was his strong point. But now we find him not only not defending him, but denying he even knew him. His confidence was actually part of his downfall. He was so convinced that he was strong. He was so convinced that he had everything uh, in line. And Satan used that strength and actually made it his weakness. And really, should this surprise us? You know, after all, Satan, uh, why should Satan only attack at our weakest points? You know, because our weakest points are, are the areas where when we know they're weak, that's the very area you guard the most. And it's a very area that you hold to the most carefully. And if you know you have a problem with anger or, or laziness or, or some other area or gluttony, then you're going to be on your guard lest you fail in that area. But not so with your strengths. You tend to take those areas for granted. You say, oh, it's no problem with me. And that was Peter. He said, no, I'm not going to fail you, Lord. No matter what happens, I'll go to my death for you because I am bold. And yet, it was that area where the temptation came. In your life, we need to watch out. There is danger ahead when a person takes any area in their life for granted. That's the one area that Satan is most likely to attack. Because he knows he can get you. It happened to Peter. It can happen to any of us. The third thing we want to notice, principle we want to notice, is God allows us to fail so that he can chip away at our self-confidence. I said this a couple weeks ago, but what I find interesting as we go through Scripture is we see Peter fail over and over again. But yet, we don't really see Peter repeat the same mistakes again. Never again would, would Peter stand up and brag on himself like he did that night. Never again would he presume to be better than his brothers, than the other disciples. Never again would he be so cocky and so self-confident that he didn't think he could fall. All of that was gone. All of that was, was stripped away at this moment, and part of that price that he paid was this failure in a moment of crisis. And really, in our lives, it's a good thing when God allows this to happen to us. By falling flat on our face, we're forced to admit that we are not perfect. And that without God, we cannot do anything. We cannot stand on our own. And the quicker we learn that, and here's the thing is, we're never going to learn it completely. But the quicker that we learn that, the better off we are. And failure never seems to be a good thing when it's happening. But if failure strips us away of our, of our cocky self-confidence, then failure ultimately is a gift from God. And as we grow in Christ, most of us come to a place where we think there are some sins that we just won't commit. 
And maybe we won't say that out loud. Maybe we won't stand up and say, oh, I'm never going to do that. I'm never going to allow that to be a part of our life. But our hearts think, I would never do that. And that was Peter. I will never fall away. I will never deny you. But circumstance may happen where God pulls the cover away from our heart and reveals to the world the depravity of our sinful heart. And we need to be cautious. We need to be cautious about what we're saying and and say that we're never going to struggle with sin. And God might allow temptation to come in your life so that you fail. In order that we make us, God allows us to be alert to our own sin. In In reality, that is the grace of God at work in our lives. When we fail... When we sin and we think it's not possible, that is God working our lives to realize that we need Him. God lets me in moments of crisis fail so that I can turn to Him. And that's what He did with Peter. Peter was so confident. He was so proud of himself, but never again would Peter stand up and boast about his courage. In the future, you see him. If you read through his epistles in, in First and Second Peter, numerous times he, make, he makes reference to humility. Because Peter was stripped of his pride and his arrogance because God allowed him to sin. But here's the good news. God can redeem your mistakes if you will let him. I noticed a couple encouraging facts about the way that Jesus treated Peter. Number one, he never criticized him. But number two, and this is glorious, he never gave up on him. Jesus knew long before he ever said, Peter, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Jesus knew that Peter one day would deny him. He knew about his denial long before it happened. He knew that what Peter would do. He knew how Peter would react. And he knew what the man that Peter would become later on. He knew all that. And that's why he said back in, in Luke chapter 22 and verse 31 or 32, excuse me, he said, I will pray that your faith may not fail. And when you turn again... He says to Peter, not if you turn back, but he says when, because he knew Peter was going to do the right thing. He knew it was going to happen, but he knew Peter would fail. And he knew he needed that failure to be a stronger person for him. And isn't that a wonderful thing? Because really, Jesus had more faith in Peter than Peter had in Jesus. He knew that Peter uh, had important work to do. He knew that Peter was going to rise above it and do some great things for him. And that's why he said, when you come back, what does he say? Strengthen your brothers. You know what he's saying? He's saying, Peter, I know that you're going to fail me. In a moment of weakness, you're going to fail me. But guess what? You are strong enough. that You're going to rise above that and you are going to do great things for me. But the failure has to come first. And God allows failures to come in our lives. But you know what? God can redeem us. And God can strengthen us and God can redeem our mistakes if we will let Him. If we will be willing to turn to Him in those moments. But Him being used by God could not happen without His fall. Could not happen without His restoration. It would never happen until Peter got to a point 
where he failed. There's an important principle here that's working. A bone that is broken often becomes stronger after it's healed. And something in the healing process actually at times can make it stronger. And the same thing is true of our failures. God can touch broken places and make them stronger than they were before. And though we fail, and though we fall, and we fall, and we fall, and we fall again, and though our faces get covered with the mud and the the filth of defeat, by God's grace we can rise above that. We can rise above the defeats and we can march on to new victory. And that's what happens to Peter. His grace was, or excuse me, his guilt was turned into grace. His shame was turned into sympathy. His failure was turned into faithfulness because he allowed God's will to work in his life. And here's proof of this. If you study Scripture, Peter did more for Jesus after his fall than he did before. Because his, uh, of his fall, he did more for God than he ever could have before. Before his fall, he was loud, he was boisterous, he was unreliable. After his fall, he became a powerful preacher for God. He was still Peter. He still messed up, and you and I are still going to mess up, but, but through it, he became changed. And we look at his life and we see that. And we see the circumstances. If you look at Luke chapter 22, and starting in verse 54, we see the circumstances that God used to bring him to the point of repentance. Notice them, if you will, how they built. Look at verse 54. It says that he's uh, following along. And then we see uh, he's denying Jesus. And we come to uh, verse uh, 60. Peter said, man, I do not know what you are talking about. And immediately while he was speaking, the rooster crowed. And as soon as the rooster crowed, Peter recalled back just a few hours and suddenly it became very clear to him uh, how rash he had been only, only six hours earlier, how cocky he had been, how confident he had been of his own strength, how sure he was of his own abilities. And that sound of that rooster meant, Peter, I warned you this was going to happen, but you didn't believe me. And then notice what happens next, and I think this must have been just uh, ripping to Peter. Look at verse 61. It says, And the Lord turned and looked at Peter. Luke's account contains something here that the other writers don't contain. The question is, why does Luke's account contain this item and no one else does? And we're, we're not totally sure, but many people, many scholars believe that that much of what Luke wrote, because Luke was not there, this was not an eyewitness account, Luke was not there, and much of what Luke took and wrote down was, was given to him by Peter. So it could be that this was a fact that no one else realized or no one else uh, understood, but Peter, here he was, and it was the middle of the night. The Bible tells us that he was standing in the courtyard and so how he was able to see Jesus, we are not sure. Maybe it was, this is the point when, when they're transporting Jesus somewhere else and, and they're taking him to see the Sanhedrin and, and the guards maybe are leading him through and just at that moment, Peter denies. And if you read some of the other accounts, we see that Peter actually cursed. And the rooster crows and Peter turns, and as he turns, his gaze falls upon Christ. 
I'm sure that just tore him apart. By this time, Jesus' face had already been hit multiple times. And so as he looks at Jesus' face, maybe he saw an eye that was already beginning to swell. Maybe he saw the, the, some blood trickling down his face. Maybe he saw, as Scripture tells us, we look at other passages, that at this point they had already spit on the face of Jesus multiple times. And, and so maybe he saw evidence of that that, even, even, that he was not able to deal with because his hands were, were tied up and, and he sees that. And immediately, he's humbled. And Jesus doesn't say a word. He just looked at Peter, who had denied him three times, and maybe that look had many different, uh, meant many different things to Peter. Maybe it was a convicting look of, you failed me. But I believe because of who Jesus Christ is, it was probably also a comforting look. As Peter looked into that, his eyes, you remember when you were a kid and you failed your parents? I've, I've said this before, but I remember one time when I failed my parents and my mom was so hurt by what I did that she said, I'm not going to deal with you. You're going to wait until your dad gets home. That usually meant a bad thing. And I remember my dad got home and I was waiting for punishment. And he walked into my room and looked into my eyes and he said to me, I am disappointed in you. And I remember thinking, please, just go get the paddle and spank me. That would be way better. But that look in his eyes, and as Jesus looks at Peter, and he's, and he's convicted of what when he sees the eyes of Jesus, and yet he sees the love of Jesus as well. Peter, you failed me. But I love you. And the Bible tells us Matthew, Mark, and Luke all stress another fact, and they stress that after the rooster crowed. It tells us, and if you will look at verse 61, it says, And the Lord turned and looked at Peter, and Peter remembered the saying of the Lord, how he said to him, Before the rooster crows today, you will deny me three times. Immediately, as he looks into the eyes of Jesus, suddenly this memory comes into his mind. And it was a memory uh, uh, more than anything else that brought Peter back to God. And, and not only had Peter fallen but he had fallen after his vain boasting. And it happened just as Jesus had predicted. And these words that Jesus spoke just a few hours before that He had spoken in love when He looked at Peter and He said, Peter, you will deny Me. Those words lodged deep in Peter's mind. And in that moment, he remembered what Jesus said. And then Scripture tells us, if you'll notice, in verse 62 it says, and he went out and wept bitterly. And those tears of deep repentance. He realized at last what he had done, how far he had fallen, how, how he was so confident there was no way he could fail, how he was so confident that he was okay. And yet he fallen so hard, so fast. And he wept. Around the same time, there's another disciple who, who also wept. The Bible tells us that Judas 
who had betrayed Christ, who had, who had bought Christ's betrayal for 30, or had, had, had been purchased from him for 30 pieces of silver. The Bible tells us after Jesus was taken that, that Judas is so distraught by this that he goes back to the priests and he says, I don't want your money. And they say, we don't want it either. And he throws it on the ground and he runs out and the Bible says he weeps. You know, Peter's tears led to repentance. Judas' tears led to suicide. Tears are good if they lead to a new devotion to Jesus Christ and to a new determination to serve Him. And we can weep and weep, but if our hearts are not made tender and open before the Lord, our tears are no good. And Peter understood that. And Peter's tears signaled a breaking of his heart. Remember when David uh, confessed his sin to God in Psalm 51, the great repentance chapter, and, and David said this, he says, God, you don't want my sacrifices. You don't want my service. What does he say? A broken and contrite heart, O Lord, you will not despise. And Peter realized that there. He said, I know it's not my mouth that you want. It's not my actions that you want. It's my heart to be broken before you. And this was an action that broke Peter's heart. And in Peter's failure, he lost his vanity. He lost his pride, his self-confidence, his impulsiveness, his unreliability. But in Peter's restoration, he gained humility. He gained a new confidence, not in himself, but in God. He gained tested courage. So he was able to, just a, uh, a short time later, just a few weeks later, he was able to stand up and look at those same religious leaders and in confidence proclaim to them the glory of God. He gained a new determination to serve Christ. He gained a, 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 a willingness to use his experience to help others. So in the next few moments in closing, I just want to look at a couple things. First of all, to whom does this story apply? First of all, maybe you're here today and you're being tempted. You feel the pull of circumstances conspiring to draw you away from your Lord. Take heart. Do not, do not think that, that you cannot defeat it. Do you feel weak and confused? Peter felt that way too. Are you discouraged about your life? Peter felt discouraged too. Do you feel backed into a corner? Peter did as well. And so this story is for you. Maybe you're here this morning and you feel utterly defeated. You think there is no way I can get through this. Secondly, this story is for the fallen. Perhaps this week you gave way under pressure. Perhaps this week you're carrying a heavy load because of guilt that you have in your life. Maybe over a thoughtless word you said. Maybe over action you did that was displeasing to God. Maybe over something else that you did. Perhaps you denied the Lord by keeping quiet at work when you should have spoke up. Perhaps you used vile language like Peter did this week, even if you only spoke him under your breath. Perhaps you have been where you ought to, you have, should not have been. Perhaps you found yourself in a relationship that's wrong. Perhaps you found yourself doing something that you shouldn't. And you are, you are Peter. You're at the bottom. You have fallen. And now you feel convicted of your sin and God is looking at you with those, that look. 
Take heart. Just like Peter, you can rise again. And thirdly, this story is for those who are coming back to God. Perhaps you know all about weeping bitter tears. You've confessed your sin to God. And I think many people, they stay at that point. They confess their sin to God and they weep and they say, but I'm done. You feel that God is is miles and miles away from you. That's why in Psalm 51, when David comes before God and he says, God, I, I am all alone. I'm broken. By the end of the psalm, he turns back to God and he realizes God is there for them. Maybe you feel embarrassed and humiliated by the things you've said, by the things you've done, and you've made, in your mind, you've made a mess of your life. Take heart. Peter felt that way too. I'm sure as Peter sat there around the fire and he looked into the eyes of Jesus, he heard the rooster crow. He remembered the words that was said. Suddenly in his mind he thought, I can never again serve God. But he didn't stay down. Because he also remembered the words of Jesus when he said, when you come back. Maybe you're here this morning and you feel defeated. Just like Peter, we can all return to God. I want to make one final point and then we'll close. Where did this story come from? How did we get this story in our Bible? And I mentioned this briefly a moment ago, but there is only one place that this story could have come from. And this story came from from Peter. Peter had to share it because no one else was there to tell what had happened. No one else was there when, when he looked into the eyes of Jesus. No one else was there and, and understood all that Peter had done except for Peter himself. And oftentimes, we want to hide our mistakes and we want to back in a corner and say, I, I don't want anyone to know about this. I don't want anyone to see what I've done. But not Peter. Once he was restored, he could not help but tell others about what took place. And he realized this simple statement, maybe you've heard this before, I can't go back, I can't stay where I'm at, I must go forward. You can't go to the back, go to the past. You can't relive the good times and erase the old times. We can't do that. Life is not like that. Life is like a river that flows endlessly onward and we must move on. And it matters not whether you're happy in your present situation or whether you are seeking deliverance from it. You can't stay where you are. The only thing you can do is move forward for God. And that's what Peter wanted to do. He put his past in the back. When we think about the, the horrific things of, of Bible and temptations and things, oftentimes we come and we talk about the betrayal of Judas, but we closely link it to the denial of Peter, and yet Peter did not live in his failures. If you're here this morning, that's hope for all of us. The worst of us, the best of us, the rest of us, all of us, If you have fallen, you can pick up again and move on. And maybe for for you this week, your failure was a little one. Maybe it didn't seem to be a colossal one. Yet if you have failed, God can make you useful again. If you have lost your courage, God can give it back to you again.
But we need to be like Peter and we need to repent and we need to get up and serve him again. Let's pray. God, I am truly thankful that you allow, that you permit failures to come into our lives to make us stronger. Lord, if everything was smooth sailing, if everything was perfect, then we would not realize our, the need for dependence on you. Lord, if our lives were like a, a neat little plan that were, it was put together and never had moments of uh, disappointment, then Lord, we would never realize that without you we can do nothing. So Lord, I pray that you help each person in here humbly come before you to realize that if that there are the possibilities of failure in our life, that if we are not on guard in our, uh, against sin, that we can fall. But Lord, if there's any in here who have fallen, Lord, help them to realize that you are able to pick us up from that and to take us on to greater usefulness for you. I pray that you help us to turn and repent, confess our sin to you. We ask this in your name. Amen.